You're listening to Nostalgia Be Damned. Hello, everybody. My name is Zach. I'm Brandon. A.K.A. DJ Spidey Fingers. This is my gift. It is my curse. You're listening to Nostalgia Be Damned, the show where we take some of your favorite movies from earlier in your childhood, you know, the films you can't help but remember fondly, and Brandon and I, we look at them as objective moviegoers and let you know, is this movie actually good or are you just nostalgic about it? This week we watched 2002's action-adventure sci-fi superhero adaptation of Marvel Comics, Spiderman. 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 And not not to be confused with the amazing Spiderman. Or uh, Spiderman Into the Spitterverse. Right, or uh, Spiderman Homecoming. Or the upcoming Spiderman Far From Home. Lots of Spiderman, lots of spitters. Yes, and uh, there's also Spiderman uh, Do and Spiderman Twa. Uh, so we are doing Spiderman 1. <laughs> From 2002, you remember the Sam Raimi one, that's right. This one is directed by the great Sam Raimi. Of course, the first time we're going to get a chance to talk about the fellow, because honestly, he's got a pretty good filmography, uh, from what I can remember. He directed uh, Evil Dead 1 and 2, Dark Man, Army of Darkness, The Quick and the Dead, A Simple Plan, which is actually a really good, underrated Billy Bob Thornton, Bill Paxton uh, thriller from the 90s. Uh, he also did that Kevin Costner baseball movie, For the Love of the Game. Wow. He did The Gift, not the Joel Edgerton, uh, Jason Bateman one, but the one with Kate Blanchett, where she talks to, I think, dead people or sees dead people. Keanu Reeves is in that movie, and you get to see Katie Holmes topless. That's a trivia bit from Harold and Kumar, if you're a true fan of uh, that series. Um, Brandon doesn't just check Mr. Skin all the time, we promise. <laughs> Is that still going, you think, Mr. Skin? That was a huge deal back in the day. Oh, of course it's going. Of course it's going. You want me to check right now? I mean, you don't have to, but if it's probably in your saved, it's, or it's already in your tabs, you have it favorited or something. I'd ask you to check it, but I know you can't read the letters on the keyboard, so. Oof, we'll just, we'll goof. It's been a while. Yeah, it has, and it hurts still. Uh, Raimi also directed, of course, the Spider-Man trilogy, the two films that followed this, as well as Drag Me to Hell, and we've not actually had a film directed by him since 2013's Oz the Great and Powerful. Did you see that? No, I did not see that, although I I can admit that... uh... My favorite Sam Raimi film is not this Spiderman movie. It's a, it is the Evil Dead. I love the Evil Dead. Evil Dead one and two are dope. I also like Army of Darkness, but it seems like it's a completely different flavor for me. And, and me, I was yeah, me say, being the more horror fan, it, that one goes medieval fantasy route. And and while I still enjoy it, I, I do prefer the first Evil Dead and the and its sequel. I like it for what it is, but I tr- I don't usually pair it up with evil dead one and two what's your thoughts on uh, drag me to hell did you ever see that one i did see drag me to hell i think i saw it on hbo a long time ago and uh i was uh, i don't know i think i was kind of like on and off watching it because i wasn't really interested so i i guess i don't really have much of an opinion on it it's pretty fun it, it's kind of his ode to it, it's him going back to his roots anyway and and after he had gotten kind of caught in the whole blockbuster cycle. He's kind of famous about going on the record about his distaste for Spider-Man 3 and the process of making it. People just are, are super hateful of it, but it, the, the hate didn't start 
I think until a couple years after, like similar to like Phantom Menace, where we got a couple years later and we're like, you know what? That movie's actually not that good. And then everyone started to pile on about about hating it. But I remember when both Spider-Man 3 and Phantom Menace came out, like the first year or two, everyone was still pretty in love with them. I, you know what? I'm the opposite. I think I hated Spider-Man 3 a lot when it came out and it's actually while I don't think it's a great movie I think it's grown on me a little bit especially after the amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2 came out I will agree with you on that I think maybe by the end of this we can maybe do a quick little ranking of our Spider-Man um but this first Sam Raimi movie I would say up with 2 had been my favorite for a very long time and you know still could be my favorite I am a huge fan of that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which recently came out, but I will agree that I held Sam Raimi's trilogy in much higher regard than I did the Mark Webb, uh, Andrew Garfield movies there. 100%. And, there, you know, there's something about this Spider-Man 2 that just... It kicks off... This movie came out, really, when we weren't oversaturated with superhero movies. Like, there weren't a million Avengers movies coming out the same time that this movie was coming out. And so you kind of got this sense of this movie was actually like something refreshing, like something we hadn't really seen. Yeah, because at this time, it's 2002, all we've gotten was the first X-Men in 2000. We had, I think, Blade back in 98, but there there really weren't that many comic book movies out and certain, they weren't certainly nearly as popular as they are now, which is why looking back on this movie to see how kind of simple it is in its structure. And, you know, there's one villain. There are three. There aren't any Skybeam bullshit at the end. The world's not at stake. It's very contained. And it, it kind of made me very nostalgic for the days of simple superhero stories, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the the bulk of this movie takes place in Manhattan. <laughs> and like and nobody outside of it feels threatened and it is it's it's very simple and this one and not to get too in deep into analysis already but this one actually kind of feels like a comic book you know what i'm saying like it's very like it, it's it it knows when to be corny but it it also has like good action the dialogue is i i think appropriately a little like soap opera ish in certain parts of it but this movie never takes itself too seriously sam raimi is the perfect choice for this type of movie because yeah he blends that sense of humor with this kind of over-the-top acting but it strikes this weird balance and manages to walk that line just like he did in evil dead where it's both funny and kind of scary but not really it's just this bombastic like you know assault to the senses but for some reason he, he seems like he gets this comic book tone much better than like ang lee would the next year with hulk that 2003 hulk like where he tried to go really into lean into the comic book aesthetic and i feel like this one yeah, like you said, really gets that feel down. This feels very old-fashioned, despite the effects being revolutionary at the time. To me, it feels more like a comic book movie than a lot of our comic book movies today. Like, you know, you say what you want about the Avengers. They are good films, but they all feel very formulaic to me. The same with the DC. They all feel like they're trying to be Watchmen. This one is very unique in the sense where it's just like it's setting its own tone. Before we get into any sort of analysis of the plot, let's let's just kind of zoom out and, and remember where we were in 2002 and how big of a deal this was. Now, did I'm assuming, did you see this in theaters? Yeah, of course. I, I saw this in theaters. This was the movie event of 2000, if you were among me and my friends. Everyone was talking about, dude, this was the talk of middle school for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. 
This was one of the most popular DVDs, I remember. This was right when DVD was really hitting the mainstream and 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 mod, like middle-class families were getting DVD players and, and buying movies on DVD. This was such a popular DVD. I saw this everywhere, and I think it was probably one of the most mass-produced DVDs of all time. Spider-Man, I think, is the perfect superhero to do this because let's just be honest with ourselves. Spider-Man's the best superhero, okay? Everybody else who says otherwise is wrong. I'm partial to Batman. I never read a whole lot of comics, but the few that I did read were Batman or Spider-Man. Those were the two comic books I did read. I read a little bit of X-Men, but but I have no knowledge of like all these intricate plot lines. And so, again, we're coming at this, or at least I'll, I'll say I. I don't know about you, but I'm coming from this from simply a, a movie fan. of. I've seen every one of the, you know, all the Marvel movies since they started. I've seen some of the older, weirder versions of like Fantastic Four, and I'm not a huge comic book reader, but I am a fan of these comic book movies, and I'm interested to see how this this genre has evolved. So this first Spider-Man, it's got a 7.3 on IMDb and a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. It cost quite a bit at the time to make. It was $139 million, which was one of the biggest budgeted films at that time. It earned, however, a whopping $403 million domestically and $821 million worldwide. It is still the highest grossing Spider-Man movie in the United States, outgrossing its two sequels, the Andrew Garfield-led reboot and its sequel in 2012 and 2014. It also earned more than 2017's Spider-Man Homecoming and last year's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Well, can you blame it it's got a rockin all-star cast my friend dude and it's soundtrack holy shit oh this soundtrack is so very early 2000s it was the highest grossing film in america in 2002 beating out check out all these sequels lord of the rings 2 star wars episode 2 harry potter 2 men in black 2 the santa claus 2 spy kids 2 blade 2 and Stuart little 2 dude wow it beat out Stuart little 2 huh <laughs> Somehow, and Spy Kids do the Island what? of Lost Dreams or something well, like that. Remember that one where they had like thumb people? Oh, is that the one where they go to that island and there's all these broken toys? <laughs> yeah, Rudolph. Rudolph. We're talking about Rudolph. <laughs> Worldwide, Spider-Man 3 and Spider-Man Homecoming have earned uh, a little bit more, however, though. So those are two technically the the most moneymakers internationally. But domestically, we still love our 2002 Tobey Maguire-led Spiderman. It remains the 32nd highest grossing movie domestically of all time. Wow. I I mean... Yeah, and it's no wonder because like we were both saying, this was the movie event of the year. Like, hands down. Two Towers, great film. All those other sequels you mentioned, great film. Nothing beats the Spider-Man movie. Dude, this, yeah, I I was so pumped to see this movie. I remember seeing the trailers well ahead of time because this is one of those movies that I think released a trailer at least six months, eight months before mm-hmm. the movie ever came out. And it was super simple, just him like, you know, slinging between uh, buildings and whatnot. And I remember, and I actually did a little research to, to back this up because I, I, I remember there being some sort of controversy with the, the Twin Towers being in some of this footage or in the posters and them re- digitally removing them Correct. prior to release, but after, obviously, the World Trade Center attacks. And so this was a big deal. It's obviously set in New York and was set to be the biggest motion picture of the year. We didn't want – this is 2002, and everyone did not want to be reminded of this in their you know popcorn summer vehicle. In New York – especially people just didn't really want to think about it. So I, I, and, and there were, I mean, Spider-Man was not the only media uh, outlet to 
sort of put the kibosh on even i mean do you remember that spongebob episode where they started censoring that because people like squidward got burned to a crisp by like lighter fluid or something like that and they had to censor they had to censor that out because it reminded people of 9-11 damn I did not know that. It's interesting to see how that affected media and movies uh, right around that pocket, those few months. I remember because, yeah, Zoolander was released the weekend before or after 9-11 and and it tanked because people did not want to laugh. And Donnie Darko had that weird plane crash premonition in the movie and then was released right that week or the week after and then Mm -hmm. similarly was kind of just buried. Let's move on. Let's let's get back into this. So Columbia Pictures acquired the motion picture rights from MGM in 1999. Sony hired David Kep to rewrite a script written by James Cameron, actually. The first one was uh, the original screenplay he had penned. A few other writers had, had made their own drafts, but they went with his and kind of rewrote it. David Kep got final writer's credit. Then it came to who would direct this movie. They had considered Roland Emmerich. Ang Lee, Chris Columbus, Jan DeBont, M. Night Shyamalan, Tony Scott, and David Fincher. And David Fincher was actually considered to direct the project before Raimi was hired as director in 2000, and he was going to adapt, I think, the death of Gwen Stacy or the death of Mary Jane or some very popular comic book line that would have been much darker than this interpretation. Yeah, and, uh, I, you know... I'm kind of glad that this movie doesn't go darker. Like I, I was thinking about that, and we we have kind of gotten darker with our superhero and comic book movies, which I think sometimes it's fine. But it was refreshing to watch one where it's like, man, everything kind of worked out. It's kind of funny watching this one going like. I remember back in the day, people probably wishing this was darker and more realistic. And now we're going the opposite way of like, I just remember when superheroes were fun. Yeah, exactly. He beats up a a lot more muggers than he does supervillains in this. And I kind of appreciate that. Yeah, there are a lot of jewel thieves and bank robbers. Yeah, although this movie has quite a high kill count. (laughs) This Spider-Man does not take shit, dude. He's murdering. Yeah, Sam Raimi feels perfectly okay killing off the board of Oscorp. (laughs) So, Tobey Maguire was not the first choice. Uh, what? <laughs> from the st- yeah, exactly. Sony was very skeptical uh, about how he would uh, do most of the stunts, most of and pull off the character. But I guess he bulked up in between from when he was first doing his screen tests to when he came on set, and uh, I guess they were ultimately impressed. But Josh Hartnett and Leonardo DiCaprio were both considered for the role of Spiderman. Well, now we missed out on a Leo Caprio Spiderman. Yeah, and we missed out on a Josh Hartnett Spider-Man, dude. That's the world I would have lived in. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, though. I look at all the Spider-Mans we've seen. I can't even mispronounce Spider-Man now. Uh, (laughs) I've... I've looked at all the Peter Parkers that we've had so far, and I gotta tell you, Tobey Maguire, for me, reigns supreme. He is the best Peter Parker for me. Really? So he's still beating out Tom Holland, too, huh? The new kid? Yes, he beats out Tom Holland for me. Although Tom Holland is a very good Peter Parker. I will give him that. I still think Tobey Maguire, he's my, you know, everybody has their own Batman and it tends to be generational, and I think that's what it is for me. Uh, Toby Maguire is my Peter Parker. Uh, like that just hurts to say out loud, but now that I'm thinking about it, he may be mine too. It's just uh, kind of like how Michael Keaton is your parents' Batman. Sure, or Adam West. Understandable, yeah. But you're saying Andrew Garfield is decidedly not. <laughs> uh, no, I will say right here, Andrew Garfield is hashtag not my Peter Parker. <laughs> 
I like Tom Holland all right. He's 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 pretty good in these uh, recent ones. Yeah, yeah he's and I'm great. excited to see that far from home. But I will say Peter uh, Toby Maguire He's got the cry down. He's got the ugly cry face. I love his screams. They're really funny. Honestly, the only thing he's missing is the fact that he looks like a 35-year-old man graduating (laughs) from high school. That's the only thing. Oh, man. Honestly, the only person who looks their age in this movie is James Franco. Dude, he is looking like James Dean, too. He looks so young. Yeah, I mean, this is dreamy james franco not hunky james franco you know what i mean i do know what you mean and i also commend the casting director for finding two actors in hollywood who have the stretchiest weirdest mouths and faces and foreheads Mm -hmm. by casting him as the son of willem dafoe uh kudos to you casting director that's right willem dafoe in uh the second time we've done this and probably the least cartoonish character he's done on this podcast (laughs) It's definitely less offensive than his portrayal in The Boondock Saints. Check that out, that episode out on our feed. But uh, it would I would be remiss to not mention the several awards this film was nominated and won. You're going to name off MTV Movie Awards, and I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want it. All right, fine. Two Oscars, yeah, Best Visual Effects and Best Sound it was nominated for, but it won Best Female Performance and Best Kiss at the MTV Movie Awards. I knew you were going to do that, and it it pisses me off. I remember when it won Best Kiss. How could you not, dude? That upside-down kiss, that rain scene, oh my god. It gets you, you know what? It, you, you put up with it when you're a kid, it gets you hot and bothered when you're my age. (laughs) Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And you know what else gets me hot and bothered? This soundtrack. So, I remembered there being more music, more songs in this movie, and then I looked it up, and I guess there, the, almost none of them are featured in the movie. No, only like one of them. But all of them are on the actual soundtrack. So I, just some of these names. This is quintessential 2002. We've got Nickelback, Ooh. Sum 41, Ooh. Stone Sour, Ugh. Alien Ant Farm, and top that off with a harsh, whopping dose of Theory of a Dead Man. She- Jesus Christ, 2002. Did you ever play the uh, video game, by the way, that was released based on this movie? I played it on Game Boy Advance, I remember. I had the play... I had... I did have the Game Boy Advance game, believe it or not, but I also had the PlayStation 2 game, which was a very different kind of game than the Game Boy Advance one, and it was super fun. I uh, had a friend who had that, and I wasn't uh, able to afford a PlayStation 2 at the time, and so I was just... uh... Very jealous. <laughs> Very jealous of his riches. Well, don't worry, Brandon. It was fun. You missed out. <laughs> well, let's jump right in, man. I'm excited. Spitterman 2002. Yeah, let's do it. And it's, uh, I think, a good two and a half minutes before we actually get into the movie because we get this sick, <laughs> I don't know if sick's the word, but this uh, Danny Elfman Long. title sequence. Yeah. <laughs> and some of the animation, I will say, is shitty. Like the the snap zooms and stuff that this computer's doing. To I got to tell you, <laughs> a lot of the CGI in this movie sure as hell does not hold up. <sighs> no, not, not entirely. I'll say some of it's still pretty impressive, but... Uh, this is, however, the first time we ever get to see that Marvel page turn logo, mm-hmm. I, I, I will mark. We get a little Who Am I monologue from uh, Baby Maguire. Like any good story, it's all about a girl, this girl, the girl next door, Mary Jane. Who? Kirsten Dunst, our second appearance, right? She was on Jumanji. I don't know if we've tackled her since. Well, it's been a long time. It's been a long time since she was in Jumanji, too. 
Oh, and Small Soldiers. Oh, and small oh soldiers. yeah, that's right. She was in Small Soldiers. Some of our first episodes, yeah. What a what a career she's had. Yeah, yeah. she's knocking out of the park. And this was... Uh, well, did you have a crush on Mary Jane as growing up, dude? Absolutely. What, are you crazy? Look at her. I think a lot of us did. And, um, you know, I've read some people online. You know, I'm not a fan of this portrayal. But I gotta say, she still kind of wins me over a bit. I know she's kind of an annoying character, and once we get into, you know, some of the later half of this movie, she gets a... <laughs> Her choices are irredeemable. <laughs> this Mary Jane made me laugh. I couldn't believe this character now. <laughs> she, like, I, and we'll get into it as the movie goes along, but I gotta tell you, just from a purely, like, what the fuck is going on, this is one of my favorite uh female love interest ever <laughs> oh man she's sitting next to her beau flash thompson this is joe what's his name magnolia Mag- Magne- magnello magnello joe magnello i don't care he's 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 great you know he's the perfect. guy yeah it's his first but it's his first uh feature film uh performance and god damn it is he one of my favorite early 2000s bullies oh he's perfect he i listen flash is so good man he looks like he's He's got a parole officer. He looks 35 and do child support. Everybody on this school bus of high schoolers looks 35. They don't do a good job casting young people in this movie. <laughs> well, then comes real li- at real lifetime 26-year-old uh, Peter Parker, Tobey Maguire. He's chasing the bus because this bus driver, god damn it, he's the worst. He never lets this poor kid on. In fact, everyone's like, hey, you should... Well, not everyone. I will say only one person, Mary Jane. Only Mary Jane. He's been, he's been running for the past like few blocks and the guy's like ah, i guess i'll pull the fuck over i guess i'll do my duty and let this student get on the school bus good lord yeah what an asshole why is everybody so mean to peter parker that's the thing he, he yeah he suffers from being a, a movie nerd where he's not that bad a looking guy and once you take his glasses off he still looks like a 35 year old man child but i mean he's not you shouldn't beat him up and he's also clearly not bothering anybody like, if that kid went to my high school, like, yeah, maybe nobody talks to him, but, like, nobody bothers him. Yeah, this kid's getting tripped on the way onto the bus, his glasses are breaking, everyone, it's just the worst, man. The kid with jelly dripping down his hands won't let him sit next to him, it's sad. <laughs> Luckily, he's got one friend in the world, and that's Harry Osborne, and he rolls up in his what? Like, goddamn Rolls Royce with his dad, Norman. Yeah, it's like 67 Rolls Royce. <laughs> and I guess this is the day they're going to a field trip, and I don't actually think it ever says where the field trip is. It's just some sort of science laboratory. It's some sort of Columbia Research Center. All right, well, Norman, that's Willem Dafoe, his son Harry, that's James Franco. They're, you know, Norman owns Oscorp, and he's into nanotechnology, and you can tell immediately this guy is gonna be evil. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, because it's Willem Dafoe. Like, of course he's the evil guy. But it also seems like he's kind of hitting on Peter, like he's super into the fact that he's smart and into science and all this stuff, and, you know, James Franco being his son, standing right next to him, is like, God, Dad, I wish you'd showed me half the the love you're showing him. (laughs) Peter wants to be a photographer, so he's there taking pictures for the, I guess, the the newspaper or whatever. What is he saying? The yearbook? I think he's doing the year, the old yearbook trick. Yeah, the school paper. Yeah, school the yearbook. Yearbook. You know who what he ca- wants. Who cares? They're doing some sort of spider research. Yeah. It sure is lame to be smart and into spiders. 
because Peter can't take a goddamn picture without these, you know, 30-year-old bullies bumping him and nudging him. He's fucking, they're fucking up their focus, dude. Yeah, they're really cool, and um, I want to be their friends. But so Peter is using the opportunity to take creepy pictures of Mary Jane. Like, what is she doing? <laughs> you mean like posing when she asks, like, hey, can I take your picture? And she's like, yeah, what, what should I do? And she's just kind of standing there awkwardly pointing at spiders. There's supposedly 15 genetically enhanced super spiders, but guess what? One of them's missing. And that one, creepy crawls its ways down onto, you know, Peter's good finger, the finger he'll use throughout his entire college career, and bites him right on it, dude. The spider hopefully dies. I don't think it does, though. No, but he just (laughs) watches as this fucking neon bright red and blue spider crawls away. I would have at least been like, asked somebody in there, hey, this spider bit me. Can anyone give me, is that okay? I, I wouldn't try to hide it. Your mutant spider uh, bit me. Like, I know <laughs> yeah, you guys are... Just ask somebody. I know you guys are dealing with a lot of poisonous and, like, dangerous spiders in here that you've altered, all genetically altered. Uh, should I be, like, concerned? You know what's really weird watching this is, like, imagining what it would be like today with every kid in there with their phone trying to take pictures of all these fucking spiders and all of them are trying to get pictures. And there's one, one kid on there using an actual camera like, can I get something for the school paper? That's when he's getting bullied, you know what I mean? I was going to say that kid's got to get beat up. He didn't... We don't have a choice. <sighs> but, uh, you know, being a typical kid, he's just like, ah, it was one little spider bite. I'm going to head home. Nothing to worry about. Except uh, he goes into, like, a like diabetic coma. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does. He brushes right past Aunt May and Uncle Ben. He was, He's living with them. And, uh, you yeah, know, they're kind of a, a lower middle class family that the Ben's lost his job. He's looking for a new one. And what are your thoughts on this versions of Uncle Ben and Aunt May? Because they've they've been through the like what we had Martin Sheen and Sally Field in the next version of this, right? Sally Field, Marissa oh, yeah, Tomei. Marissa Tomei yeah. is now the new and uh, Marissa Aunt May. Tomei's after that. Yeah, uh, this is my favorite Uncle Ben um, because he's uh, he's got just such a soothing fatherly voice, and he it really hits home when he dies that I didn't really quite feel when uh, Martin Sheen died, if I'm being perfectly honest. Uh, This is my second favorite Aunt May next to Marissa Tomei. Just because I love Marissa Tomei. God, I love Marissa Tomei. (laughs) Yeah, we all love Marissa Tomei, Zach, okay? Yeah, everybody does. (sighs) But I will agree, yeah, she's pretty good in this, and there's only one scene where I laugh out loud at her delivery, but other than that, she is solid through and through. Is it when they're trying to kill her? It's when, yeah, he breaks in and she's doing that, like, prayer and he forces her to keep going. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, what a goofy movie this is. Anyway. <laughs> so, meanwhile, Norman is having some problem problems at Oscorp. Apparently, the military contract that he had is uh, set to expire unless he can prove his genetic superior enhancing chemicals or whatever the shit he's working on. Proves that they work because I guess they cause insanity in their previous test subjects, but... He has no more time to waste, so guess what? He's going to try this shit on himself. And honestly, I'm kind of impressed at how fast this movie's moving along. <laughs> they get to this shit fairly quickly. This is a two-hour movie. It's actually, like, kind of a long movie, but none of it feels wasted. It doesn't. It, like, this movie, like, hustles through its plot, and there's so much to get through. Yeah, so we got our protagonist, our antagonist, dealing with some sort of chemical changes to their body. Norman, you know, the green gas comes... <laughs> 
comes out and he starts to convulse and pass out and he winds up killing his, you know, his little doctor assistant guy there. Mm-hmm. I like the way this is shot, though, because, again, it's very comic booky. It would like the snap zooms on people's eyes. You can imagine how these would be drawn in comic book panels. But Sam Raimi, again, his visual style really lends to this. <laughs> and fucking Defoe, dude, always selling it with the hissing and the growling. Dude, Willem Defoe comes 100% at any role he's given, and this one is no different. <laughs> Peter, meanwhile, wakes up the next day to six-pack abs, dude. That's awesome. Good for him. I'm so proud of him. <laughs> I am, too. He just, like, gets up, starts flexing, like, oh, shit, dude, nice. I look good. So the first thing he does is contemplate hitting on Mary Jane, and who could blame him? Uh, but he chickens out, misses the bus. But this is when he starts to realize his changes are more than just his freaking rock hard abs, dude. His like fingers are sticky. <laughs> dude, he's got furry little fingers or something on his fingertips. He's got little pricklies, and he's got like this heightened sense of awareness. And spider webs shoot out his arms, but that one's not that weird. <laughs> And I like how fast, one, he just is cool with all this. And two, we also learn a bit more about Mary Jane's dark uh, history or what's going on over there next door. I didn't know when – I knew they were next door, but, like, then it gets that shot of him in his bedroom. And he looks out his window, and she's literally the window directly across, maybe 20 feet from him and mm-hmm. right into her bedroom. What has his childhood been like? Just watching this girl – Disturbia style? Listen, let's not deep deep dive into Peter Parker's masturbation habits. Let's just <laughs> assume that he's always been a good boy. Well, Aunt May, I I bet has some assumptions later on when she starts hearing some weird noises and there's some peculiar cleanup. She's got to have some questions, too. Yeah, because Peter starts to shirk his responsibilities after he gets in this fight with Flash. He beats the shit out of Flash. It's pretty funny. This fight is dope, dude, because you get to see a bit of what his spider senses are like. Everything goes in slow-mo. We can see a fucking fly's wings flap and hear all this shit. And yeah, he just sees everything in slow-mo so he can duck and dodge all these punches from Flash. I like that a lot of people see him like do this weird shit and like what is it like a couple months later when there's a spider-man no one's like hey i saw peter parker do that kind of weird shit (laughs) (laughs) i love the fact that like they're calling him freak in the fight and then after he wins the fight with like a huge punch to flash's chest sends him flying across the hallway or whatever everyone's continues to call him a freak this guy can't win no he's having a bad day Uh, but this is where we get also some of these like learning his power shots where he starts wall crawling. Um, and I love the way they do the wall crawling in this movie because they just kind of rotate the camera a little bit and Toby Maguire's clearly just like crawling on a wall. Yeah. A lot of this is practical effects that you can clearly tell that they've enhanced with CG backgrounds or something, but yes, Raimi's going to try to get it in camera if he can. And a lot of these, you know, ultra wide shots of him flying through the city and shit. Some of them aren't bad. There's some (laughs) where it's like him uh, running from a top and his face is coming up towards the cameras. He's like screaming and stuff. But yeah, he's got some Gumby body CGI going on that you just couldn't escape in the early 2000s. They they, they did what they could. And I'd say I'd say a good like, you know, 55 to 70 percent of it holds up. All right. Yeah, absolutely. It is what it is. Um, you're honestly, it doesn't get much better in some of the new movies. So it's, you know, 
it is what it is. He gets home late that night, didn't decide to help out Ben with a painting of the kitchen or whatever they were supposed to do. Like you said, he's shirking his responsibilities, not doing his chores, but he does overhear yet again Mary Jane being bitched at by her, like, trailer trash dad. What's going on with her home life? Uh, this has been happening for years, apparently, where he's just grown up next to her as she's been abused verbally by this horrible family. Yeah, she makes, uh, she clearly has, like, not great choices in men. And it's and we learn about it because it stems from her father issues. Oh shit, dude! David Kep with the screenplay blowing my mind. Yeah, dude. Uh, I don't. I didn't read enough Spider-Man comics to know if like her abusive family life is actual canon or not, but. You know, it gives them a reason to just kind of like talk and also sympathize with Mary Jane, who could, you know, after watching this movie, could probably use as much sympathizing as she can get. Well, she chats with Peter there for a bit. I guess this might be one of the longest conversations they've ever had, despite growing up next to each other. Flash comes over, picks her up in a dope car. So Peter gets the idea. All right, well, to impress Mary Jane, let me get a sweet car. And while he's looking through the newspaper, he runs across an ad for wrestling, survive, Three minutes in the ring with some dude, some wrestler, and you get 3000 bucks. That's enough to get a shitty car, he thinks. So the design <laughs> process begins, and he starts doing all these drawings of what his, what his alter ego could be. No intention of becoming a superhero at this point. He just wants to make a wrestling costume. And let's be perfectly blunt. If I had just discovered all these Spider-Man powers... This is exactly what I'd be doing. I'd be like, all right, how can I make this money? <laughs> all On paper, all of these suits look dope, including the last one that he creates, which is, you know, what you picture Spider-Man as. However, when you see that in person, it's not quite as uh, special. <laughs> but no, but uh, we can't gloss over the most important scene in the entire movie, one of the most famous scenes in the entire movie. He's getting a ride from his Uncle Ben to go to this wrestling thing, unbeknownst to Uncle Ben. And this is when he decides to confront Peter about like him just acting a little weird. And he's like, look, like I know this is a weird time in your life. Uh, that fight that you got into school wasn't cool, and just remember, blah, 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 with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, and of course, Peter takes it the wrong way, and he's kind of a little dick. Like, you don't know what I'm going through, Uncle Ben. Stop pretending to be my dad. You're not my dad. And that's the last thing he says to him. Damn. Uh, We get... Uh, this kind of like cool, weird, like wrestling scene. I, you know, this is when origin movies were cool, you know, (laughs) like this is when like, I was perfectly happy, like watching Peter Parker get in a wrestling ring with this dude while Bruce Campbell commentates. Yeah. Well, it reminded me of the, uh, X-Men Wolverine, like cage match where he's introduced in that very first X-Men movie, just, you know. People punching other people. It was cool to watch. We didn't need some sort of crazy, uh, you know, origin for every single character. But uh, when we got them, they were good. They were good. And uh, so Peter, of course, knocks this dude out in two minutes and he gets ripped off by the venue promoter. He says the rule was three minutes in the ring, $3,000. You pinned him in two. That's worth a measly $100. What the fuck, dude? I beat Bonesaw, Racho Man, Randy Savage. (laughs) Fuck yeah, he did. Dude, Bonesaw is ready. I love that shit. That whole scene's pretty damn fun. Yeah, uh, what is also fun is this next scene where a thug comes in, robs the concert promoter, and Peter Parker, as an act of revenge to the promoter, 
lets him get away. Dude, he runs right past him. Peter basically holds the elevator door for him, and as he's going down, he says thank you. He thanks Spider-Man for helping him get away. Spider-Man, by the way, just got his name because Bruce Campbell refused to call him the human spider when introducing him in the ring and called him Spider-Man instead. That's how we got the name, dude. Another reason to thank Bruce Campbell. Anyway, uh, it turns out that was a bad idea because this guy goes ahead and shoots Uncle Ben. God damn it, Spider-Man. God damn it. Uncle Ben's freaking dead. Dude, this is such a sad scene. He's like clutching and holds out his hand and he recognizes Peter. And uh, yeah, the way he says Peter as he's like almost crying about to die and then dies, it's sad shit. And of course, Tobey Maguire looking all mcguire toby mcguire-ish um yeah honestly this is why this is my favorite uncle ben like he, this death scene is gut right sad shit dude it's cider house rulesy oh what happens after this oh so he overhears on the dispatch you know where the perp is going so he decides to suit up as spider-man he finds the guy and in almost like a tim burtony batman uh style scene they're in this abandoned building and the guy winds up tripping you know after there's this whole tete-a-tete they're going at it and he decides once he recognizes oh shit that's the guy i left you which by the way i love how they have to show us that memory like we didn't just see this guy two minutes ago (laughs) yeah like we wouldn't (laughs) figure it out (laughs) but uh yeah he trips to his death the police think it's spider-man and uh peter parker flees so you know he's dead spider-man's born we move on flash forward i'm assuming a couple months later to peter's graduation yeah, the only thing that happens before that is that Norman does wind up killing some scientists. His rival company, I guess, is testing something similar, so he goes there to take them out. And then, yeah, I will say one of one of my, I guess, gripes with this movie is I can't quite tell time progression. I don't know how long things last, if this is days, weeks, months. Yeah, it's really tough to tell. I, I'm assuming, like, it's... I think they actually do say like it's been a rough couple of weeks or something like that. Enough time that could be a enough lie. time has passed where they are beginning the moving on process, even though Peter still feels really guilty about this. But he takes into consideration what his uncle said about great power, great responsibility, and from this we start to see some Spider Man. Yeah, dude. Peter finally realizes he can use his powers for good. Plus, MJ and Flash are breaking up, so he thinks maybe I could get in there. Yeah. So he foils a robbery or two. There's some jewel thieves, some purse snatchers. You know, New Yorkers are fucking loving him for the most part. There's a couple out there who are, who are against him. Minus one or two New Yorkers. Uh, most of New York fucking love Spider-Man. And wh- why shouldn't they, dude? He's doing the job the police can't do. He's a menace. He's a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, and yeah, no one likes him more, though, than J. Jonah Jameson, who's, uh, you know, the news director there at the Daily Bugle, I believe. Yep, uh, played by the incomparable, incomparable J.K. Simmons. Oh, my God. I don't, like, I thought for a while there that this would be his defining role, because it's so perfectly cast, but then you see him in Whiplash and in those uh, insurance commercials, or is that Yellow M&M, and then you realize this guy's a goddamn national treasure. Uh, he really is. He's one of the best actors in this country, I will say that. I, I feel comfortable saying that. He is amazing, and honestly, if they were to recast this role in the new Spider-Man movies, I just keep bringing him on. He's perfect. 
Yeah, he's great in this role. Like, from what I remember from the animated series and what little comic books I did read with this character in it, uh, Spider-Man issues, he, he fucking nails it. I love his hair, his mustache. Of course, he was clean-shaven and looked like, you know, we associate J.K. Simmons to now, but he fits so well in, in, in as this character. He's just, a you know, a loud, bombastic asshole who just cares about sensationalizing the news. He is probably the most comic booky character in this entire movie. I Like, you can give it kind of to Willem Dafoe but he's got like a bit more of a serious role to play I this is just pure comic relief like he is going all out it's fantastic (laughs) yeah he's got a newspaper to sell and he wants a good high-res pic of Spider-Man for the front page (laughs) this is where Peter Parker comes in because Peter Parker who's now living with uh James Franco Harry Osborn that's right yep uh he got fired from his job because he's just doing way too damn much spider manning And to make ends meet, he starts freelancing for the newspaper who just does nothing but trash Spider-Man. And that's sad, but, you know, you got to make that paper. Yeah, you got to make that paper. And it turns out something a little fishy with MJ and Harry's going on, and it turns out maybe they're fucking? Are they dating, dude? Yeah, they're dating. They are absolutely dating, and Harry did not tell Peter because, let's be honest, he's kind of a bad friend. Not yeah, they're they're all bad friends because then she's there like, don't tell Harry that I'm waitressing because he'll think that's beneath me because I gotta pursue my dream of becoming an actress. And then Harry doesn't bother fucking telling Peter that he's dating the girl that Peter's loved since he was a kid. He also doesn't tell his dad because he apparently rightfully assumes that his dad would not approve of mary jane which confuses the hell out of me what is wrong well because she comes from that you know trailer trash angry guy or whatever's going on with her home life Uh, because she's from queens because she's from queens yeah she's a queens redhead bummer yeah no well you know what maybe he's right (laughs) speaking of his dad norman has just been squeezed out of his company by the board of directors So I think then it's either the next day, next week, whatever. It's the World Unity Fair. Macy Gray is performing. (laughs) Oh, my God. 2002. Hello. MJ is dressed up like a geisha for some reason. I don't know what she's doing in this outfit. And Harry immediately is like, I wish you would have worn black. My father loves that. (laughs) Yeah. We're trying to impress my dad. You can't come looking like this. You can't come looking like a literal painted whore. (laughs) Jesus. Well, this is where we get our first look at the actual villain of this movie. I think we're at least an hour in, and we finally get to see Green Goblin in uh, in costume. Yeah, we've seen a couple of brief cuts, and like we saw the glider, I think, destroying the other military contractor. Um, but yeah, you're right. This is our first real look at the suit, and um, you know, a little corny looking now, but I remember when it came out, man, this was dope. Yeah, and I I still kind of like it. Yeah, it's a little like the Power Rangers, and honestly, this like this scene reminded me of the climax of Jingle All the Way. <laughs> yeah, it it really does. It I've always thought that too. But I I will say this. Uh, you know what? I prefer this costume as maybe as like clunky and like a little maybe fake as it looks. I you know compare it to the Green Goblin in Amazing Spider Man Two. I'll take this one any day. Oh, yeah, when Dane DeHaan's got that, like, fucking green spray-painted hair. and and, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He looks like a Who from the Grinch or something like that, dude. No. Yeah, you can 
fuck off to the writing table that that came from. I, I also appreciate this more than I do the whole, like, kind of the lazier excuse for what they do with superhero, or at least the Marvel stuff, where it's just, like, nanotechnology. He presses a button, and it's just, like, bloop, 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 all over his body, and then he's covered in Iron Man shit. But, like, back in the day when Willem Dafoe's no, struggling. Man, he just built himself <laughs> of greens. He just built himself a green suit of armor, man. That's yeah, all exactly. Willem Dafoe's out here fucking sweating it out in this power ranger bullshit and i'm liking it the mouth doesn't move but i I still i just kind of really enjoy the way this looks it's got like built-in sunglass goggles (laughs) (laughs) that's the coolest thing about it is that those come down that's it uh so the green goblin does you know he terrorizes the parade uh blows up a building and kills the board of directors (laughs) yeah dude he's throwing some ball bombs some of them you know explode and cause mass destruction other ones just turn you into a skeleton (laughs) yeah they're like mini like nukes (laughs) they just like disintegrate (laughs) your body um but yeah i mean this is our first real big encounter for spider-man 2 we've seen him like we mentioned beat up a couple thugs but this is his real first test and uh we get you know a pretty cool pretty cool fight it's you know it's very simple like it is nothing like you would see in some of the superhero movies nowadays but you know for the practical effects and for what it was it's not bad yeah man the indie they got the indiana jones punch sound effects going everything feels very tame while also being more violent than it probably should be (laughs) i mean it's got high stakes to it people are on the ground literally dying oh yeah there's that little kid who's standing there like an absolute dipshit and his mom's like please get my son he swings in saves him at the last minute spider-man uh plays god instead of letting darwinism do its work (laughs) and just like crush this little kid But thankfully, Spidey winds up saving MJ as she's, you know, falls from this building. Harry does a whole hell of a lot. Not. Yeah. Fuck Harry, man. He's he's the worst. Uh, Mary Jane is definitely starting to get some feelings for Spider-Man. Not Peter Parker, mind you. Spider-Man. She is soaked by the end of this encounter, dude. He, you know, flies away at the last minute, but all he does is, you know, a couple of cool, smooth lines. Again, though, when he talks, it sounds like Tobey Maguire. So it's not a cool voice. It's Tobey Maguire's voice. So I still don't know how that's a panty dropper, but, you know, Spider-Man's cool. His, his, his suit's cool. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. He's ripped, dude. And he's ripped. Yeah. Anyway... This is when Willem Dafoe, like, he's kind of feeling happy because, like, things are sort of going his way despite, like, everything also not really going his way. And he figures out that he's got this alter ego now with the Green Goblin that's been, like, talking to him and taking over his body at will and killing off all of his rivals. He's been hearing voices and there's this classic Jekyll and Hyde, him talking into the mirror. You know, it's uh over the top, but he fucking sells it like always. Mm-hmm. And he he tells uh he tells Norman Osborn the Green Goblin, I guess. I it this gets confusing when we're narrating it, but uh you know, he kind of tells himself that there's only one person who can stop you is Spider-Man. Hard cut to this next scene, which I'm kind of this. Honestly, out of all the scenes, this one's kind of the most ridiculous. And I don't really. It's it's just really uh, coincidental this bullshit. But Peter Parker's there at the Daily Bugle with J. Jonah Jameson, and he's you know showing him some new pictures. And 
Jameson, you know, gives fucking Green Goblin his name. No one comes with these names prepared. This is a real, like, are you with no one? Oh, you're solo type of deal. <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson is like a 1920s newspaper man. Like, he, he he will do whatever he needs to do to get papers sold. Journalistic integrity be damned. He's awesome. And while he's there, Goblin arrives, blows up the, the, the Daily Bugle, and, like, starts to choke out J. Jonah Jameson. And that gives, you know, Spider man the time to get all suited up and then he arrives and then goblin just sprays some fucking sleep juice in his face and he falls asleep and it's just very it's very convoluted even for like a a comic book spider-man movie it all happens just like in a second yeah it's a little goofy but you know after he knocks out spider-man he basically tells him like join me because god forbid like a villain not try and like convert someone yeah they gotta have the hero fall dude join the dark side please but yeah this whole you know people will hate you no matter what you do comes a little bit rushed considering it seems like all of new york loves the guy except for j jonah jameson (laughs) yeah i mean it's it really is just like his newspaper that's calling spider-man out everybody's like amped up on spider-man so it is what it is um meanwhile is this where we get the the rain kiss scene after this yeah pretty much because mj is stalked by peter he winds up finding her in the city taking he admits to taking two buses and a taxi or something so he's stalking her acts it off as though he's just yeah like oh it's just in the neighborhood you psychopath but yeah you're fucking weird dude this is where we start getting a bit of the very manipulative and uh, i'd say dangerous uh, character traits of this mj character because she does this whole why so interested thing so you know that she knows that peter is interested in her romantically well she's also like i remember and i forgot to bring this up because it was one of the things that i specifically wanted to mention while they were at that little festival when harry and mj are talking harry goes to like kiss her and mj just like turns away (laughs) yeah and then harry harry looks (laughs) Harry looks down in the crowd and sees Peter, like, staring at them through his camera lens. And then he's, like, trying to call her later to check up on her and make sure she's okay. And she hangs up on him after, like, swooning about Spider-Man. So she's, like, definitely not really into Harry. <laughs> no, but she's also, yeah, so she's given this flirting with Peter, but ultimately winds up leaving. And then, yeah, we get this little, it starts to rain. Peter changes into Spider-Man real quick. And, you know, there's this whole... Uh, fight between these hooligans daring to accost Mary Jane. And uh, we get, again, another mildly simple but still pretty cool fight scene between Spider-Man and the thugs. But you're right, we do get this scene that MTV swooned over the upside down in the rain, nipples out, kissing. Dude, this smooch was, yeah, set the world on fire. America couldn't get enough of this upside-down kissy-wissy. And I will say, it's a great scene. It is a great scene. It is, it's an iconic scene, especially for the early 2000s. Yeah, and for that shirt that Dunst is rocking. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> like I said, nipples out. It They <laughs> they did not care. They were like, ah, whatever. This, this movie needs a little sex. So... We flash forward again, there's a fire in New York City, and Spider-Man comes to the rescue. You know, we get, we get like, some Spider-Man things like, uh, you know, the police are after me, I'm not coming back, but I gotta save these people. Um, 
only to find out that the Green Goblin is there waiting for Batman. Or, oh my god, Batman. (laughs) (laughs) This is why we've been calling him Spider-Man. Spider-Man, dude. Yeah, the whole save my baby scene. Comes back in and, uh, yeah, Green Goblin's dressed as a woman. Turns around because he's been throwing his voice as this like woman's scream, Wilhelm scream. You know what? This is still a scary scene to me. Like having that woman turn around in the fire in the Green Goblin face. Sam Raimi knows how to do it, man. God damn it, he does. And then he also knows how to shoot fire. This is awesome. This is all this really cool practical firefight scene with you know him throwing him through wood and all kinds of shit and the sparks flying. I love the way this looks. So Spider-Man kind of gets the upper hand on the Green Goblin. He does get cut on his arm, but he does something very unsuperhero. I thought. He just leaves. Like, he, he pushes the Green Goblin away, and then he just bails. He's like, All Well, right, that's bye. the thing. I had to rewind this scene because I will say there are a few edits, again, where I was kind of complaining about the progression of time. I can't quite tell sometimes, but there's also just some poor edits where like this scene here, I actually rewound because it cuts from this explosion in the building to like a fade on Goblin's face to Willem Dafoe sweating in an elevator. I guess it's Thanksgiving dinner now, but it just cuts out of nowhere. That scene basically didn't end. It was, I was like, did Spider-Man get out of there? What, what just happened? It shows like a window and then he just kind of like bails. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I couldn't even see him. So it's implied that Spider-Man left while the green goblin was not looking, which is very unsuperhero like, but it is what it is. He's running late for Thanksgiving dinner. I love this next scene where he's hiding on the roof or the ceiling and mm-hmm. Norman comes in and is suspects that, you know, Peter's in the room. And Peter's, of course, cut with his arm bleeding up at the top and the drop of blood makes a little splash sound on the wood floor below and fucking Willem Dafoe senses it and turns around growling and whatnot. I love that part. Then we get the most awkward Thanksgiving dinner maybe ever. It's... <laughs> and- It's Mary Jane and Harry, who, by the way, like Harry is in love with Mary Jane. Mary Jane, who's just kissed (laughs) Spider-Man, is clearly not in love with him and has also been flirting with Peter. And then Willem Dafoe, who's like melting away as a person (laughs) because he's sweating and he can't like understand what's going on with his changing body. And then begrieved aunt may who's just being like i'm just here to have a good time and nobody else is apparently and willem dafoe is being super creepy toward mj he's like leering at her and staring at her and then he's fingering his fruitcake that he brought and mj and aunt may's slapping his hand and when he looks up at aunt may he looks like he wants to fucking kill her and he probably does um but he sees the cut on Peter Parker's arm and he puts two and two together that Spider-Man also has the same coot on his arm. <laughs> Holy shit. Peter Perker is Spooderman. Peter Perker is Spooderman. Cannot stand to be in the same room anymore. He gets up and leaves and Harry's all, hey, I was trying to introduce you to my girlfriend. I really like her. So not only does he leave, but he also is basically like, dude, hit it and quit it. She's not worth your time. <laughs> Yeah, and it, he is very blunt about that. I can't rem- I didn't remember that like strong of a statement from this character in this scene. He's straight up mean. <laughs> yeah, and then of course she over everyone overheard all of this. So then MJ storms off, and Harry's like, "Hey, that's my dad. So why don't you shut your mouth about things you don't understand?" And again, Aunt May, who made this beautiful fucking Thanksgiving dinner, <laughs> uh, is like, "Harry, come on, dude." <laughs> Great. Now I got to eat Thanksgiving dinner with fucking Mopey McGuire here. Yeah, that sucks. Ah, what a terrible Thanksgiving. 
to top it off, to make it worse even, yeah, she can't even get to bed that night without shit exploding. Because that's Green Goblin's plan, right? Is to is to hit him where it hurts, hit him in the heart. Strike at the heart. Oh, boy. Strike, kill the Spider-Man. What, so, boy, what is his plan here? Because I thought maybe it was to kill her, but... This is the scene where I laughed out loud because she's delivering this prayer, uh, going to bed. The, the you know the wall behind her explodes and he comes bursting in Kool Aid Man style and says, "Finish the prayer!" And so she's screaming like, "Oh, lay me down to sleep." <laughs> the only thing I can think is that it's kind of like a similar plan to what the Joker had in the Dark Knight, which is just like, you know, reveal yourself and stop being Spider Man, or more of your loved ones are gonna die. Even though Peter Parker only has one person in his life that loves him. Yeah, and she gets sent to the hospital. So then I was, I thought maybe completely fine. By the way, <laughs> yeah, she's fine because he says finish it, and then you think, oh, maybe he's gonna take her hostage or something. But no, I guess she just goes to the hospital. He just came to kind of like fuck her house up. <laughs> All he did was accelerate her dementia by like one night, and then that's it. <laughs> oh man, that's dark. Well played, yeah, Gobby. Well, it's a dark movie. Yeah. Uh, while they're in the hospital. Peter Parker is again, he's like, he knows who I am. This sucks. I feel responsible for this. And he puts on the freaking longest soliloquy. Oh, this is <laughs> American psycho level, dude. Yeah. When I look in your eyes, I feel brave and scared at the same time. It's fucking nuts. And she falls for it. Well, the fact that she falls for it, I, I don't quite know if she does. Cause what she's talking about before that is how, I'm not actually, he's asking her about how her and Harry are doing, and she's like, ah, well, I'm actually not in love with Harry, I'm in love with someone else. And then he perks up like, holy shit, this is my chance, maybe she's in love with me. No, she then explains to him that she's in love with Spider-Man. Now, let's just pause this for a second. She doesn't know, and doesn't even suspect that Peter is Spider-Man, so she's not laying this on him in a cute way. She has not only told him that she's not in love with the his best friend whom she's been fucking <laughs> despite knowing that he's into her she's actually into this other dude who just saved her and i guess what i want to tell you all about it like what the fuck mary jane but then because peter parker's like well i know spider-man and he's like have you talked to him about me <laughs> which is a very high school thing <laughs> um and then he puts on that <laughs> that smooth line with her and she grabs her hand so she's like okay so in the span of let's say this movie takes place between high school and now let's say three months well actually no maybe half a year we'll give it half a year because we just had thanksgiving dinner school gets out in in uh june she has fallen in and out of love with flash harry spider-man and now peter parker (laughs) Damn, Mary Jane. Chill out. Harry walks in in a bad time when Peter Parker and Mary Jane are holding hands. and Yeah, his neck stiffens up pretty quick, dude. He's yeah. pretty angry about that. And he goes complaining to his dad, who, of, of course, is the Grin Goblin. <laughs> Comes home to fucking cackling throughout the house. Yeah, so he realizes he's like, well, I gotta go kill Mary Jane now. This is a good opportunity. <laughs> what an immature way of thinking on Harry's part. Like, all he did was see her comforting her her hand on this guy's hand like again he's in the he's in the hospital bedroom of his you know dying aunt could just have been like them you know comforting each other but instead he walks in with dad you were right about mj she's in love with peter parker she's she's trailer she's trailer park trash dad you spot on wants the money and the drugs dad she gets it 
<laughs> anyway, uh, Aunt May has been okay this whole time. She's taking up a hospital bed in a crowded New York City hospital. Um, but she tells Peter, like, just fucking tell her, man. Like, you're being a real puss about this. Uh, everybody else already knows. And that's when Peter realizes, oh, shit. If Aunt May, stupid, stupid Aunt, old Aunt May knows, then the Green Goblin must know. So he, so he leaves a very disturbing message on her answering machine because, again, she doesn't know she's in any danger and he won't tell her she's in danger. So instead he's just like, hey, where are you? Uh, just checking in on you. Just uh, seeing how everything's going. Yeah, hey, just uh, don't go down any dark alleys or nothing. <laughs> yeah, don't go down any dark alleys and call me when you get back, okay? <laughs> I love you. I love, love you. Oh, bye. my God. Why did I tell her that I love her? Oh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Luckily, she probably never gets that message because Goblin picks up. The Green <laughs> Goblin answers the phone. <laughs> Which, by the way, that does that work on a cell phone? Do they have cell phones? I don't know what time this movie takes place. I think he's picking the phone up at her own house, but I wonder if he's got the whole gear on and if he's picking that phone up to his head or if he took the mask off. He had to take the mask off. I don't. <laughs> but he's know, still but doing the Green Goblin voice. Yeah, what, like, who, I don't know. There's a lot of questions behind this phone call that need answering, but let's not go into it. No, because we're we're already thrust into the film's climax here. It's a classic superhero scenario. He's got, Groblin's got MJ held hostage. He's also got this, uh, what, tram full of kids. Of course. And (laughs) he's holding them both up, and basically he's like, choose. You gotta figure out which person you want to be. You want to save the kids or the love of your life. Let's them both go, and I do find it peculiar he goes after MJ first. So Puss is important. It it prevails above all. I mean, he clearly came with a plan, but I also thought that too. Like he went after MJ. He probably could have saved the kids and then saved MJ. It's hard to tell. I think it's a risky gamble considering one, he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't really know the extent of his superpowers. All he's really done is kind of push some stuff and, you know, he punched through a wall maybe, but does he know he can carry a full tram full of children? I don't know. I, you know, it's been about three months. I would think at this point he probably has an idea about his strength. <laughs> because of all the masturbation. Right, because of all the master. He's had to slow down on the masturbation. <laughs> well, luckily, you know, New Yorkers are there and they're there to help. So they start pelting Green Goblin with shit. New Yorkers come to the fucking rescue. You mess with Spider-Man, you mess with New York. You mess with one New Yorker, you mess with us all, bud. The, the, I, I realized it a bit too late. But they do this exact same thing in the next one, in the second movie. They do this again, <laughs> yes, like yes, in do. the train scene where, he, which is that amazing train scene where he like stops the the train from going off the end of the tracks, and like all the people in the subway stand up for Spider Man. <laughs> And it's like, oh, they do this twice. They dip in that well a few times. It just proves how much, you know, the city loves Spider-Man. Yeah, and Spider-Man loves the city. Oh, boy. Well, yeah, he's able to safely set the tram down on a barge. He saves Mary Jane, but the goblin gets him, throws him into this abandoned building, and another pretty damn cool fight scene. By far the coolest fight scene uh, he's beaten the shit out of Spider-Man because he throws a grenade in his face. It's awesome, dude. Yeah, slow-mo grenade explosions and P- uh, Peter Parker flying all over the place. I love Tobey Maguire's pained screams and blood coming out of his mouth. Willem Dafoe threatening to slowly kill Mary Jane, which kind of sets Peter Parker off. 
and we get this amazing like scene where he like throws a brick wall on top of him and just beats the shit out of him. It's violent. Yeah. Green Goblin eventually gets to the point where he can't win, so he, you know, reveals himself to be Norman and they have this whole back and forth until, you know, Norman's trying to trick him and tries to send his glider, you know, to stab him, but, you know, Spidey sense he's able to get out of the way and he inadvertently impales himself with his glider. It's pretty awesome. In the dick. Right in the dick. And his dying words are what? Like, don't tell Harry, right? Peter, don't tell Harry. Yeah. Great. That's awesome. And he dies. Uh, Harry doesn't find out that his dad was the Grin Goblin, but he does see his dad dead, uh, his corpse being put down by Spider-Man. As we flash forward to his funeral, Harry vows to get revenge on Spider-Man. It'll take him another two movies to do it, so Harry's not very good, not very smart, as was implied by his father his entire life. <laughs> and amnesia, right? Doesn't he get amnesia in the third one? Oh, that's right. He gets amnesia in the third movie. <laughs> what a stupid plot. Holy <laughs> shit. Before becoming, before becoming the second Green that's Goblin right. and having to fight <laughs> the Sandman and... Freaking Topher Grace's uh, Venom. Venom. Topher, yeah, Topher Grace's Venom. Who's a better Venom, though, Tom Hardy or oh, Topher Grace? Oh, good lord. I would love to see Who's them a better do. Eddie Brock? I would love to see them do in a movie together. Having just recently watched a quarter of the Eddie Brock. Venom, Venom, Venom. Venom. Yeah, having just watched a quarter of the new Venom movie, I will go ahead and make the bold statement, Topher Grace, better Venom. Oof. I can't, I don't know if I can agree with you, man. I think whoever has the Eminem titled theme song wins, and so I've got to go with Tom Hardy. Ugh, but Tom Hardy, Tom Hardy, I don't think actually knew his lines in that movie. <laughs> he's mumbling through, forgetting them halfway. I love that performance so much. He, oh, sometimes boy. he's doing a New York accent, and like the director reminds him mid-scene, like, this movie takes place in San Francisco, which is weird in and of itself. <laughs> Yeah, so still at the cemetery, you know, yeah, Harry vows revenge uh, on Spider-Man. MJ tells Peter that she might kind of like him. In fact, she confesses her love seemingly out of nowhere, but basically tells him, you know, when I was about there up there thinking I was going to die, you're the only person I thought of. Dude, this whole scene, uh, so after she confesses love, they kiss, and Peter is like, I, you know what, I can't do this, I can't be in love with you i want to be in love with you but i can't he walks away and we get his inner monologue saying you know i'm freaking spider-man i you know this is my curse i have to live with it dude i don't know about you when i was a kid seeing this in the theaters this scene crushed me yeah man this is infuriating as a kid it, it really is she like the girl that he has been in love with his whole life he's just like you know what this is just like not a good idea <laughs> because you happen to know the first villain you came across, dude. Like, you you need to relax. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And he's already... Be it's not like he suspects there are other crazy-ass creatures out there or some other villains out to get him. Like, I'm, according to him, that's one and done. Yeah. Uh, ridiculous. So. But yeah, they, they smooch in the middle of a cemetery, by the way. Like, I'm trying to picture their... <laughs> Over Uncle Ben's dead shot corpse. <laughs> 
They've also just got the... I think they're also burying the man that Peter just killed. Well, Peter didn't really kill him. I mean, he kind of <laughs> killed Osborne him. too, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but you know what's going on. But still, like, a very unromantic place to get your first kiss. And and do you think... Because she starts to suspect, you know, those lips. Holy shit. Again, it's all in the acting. But she just raises her hand to her lips like, those lips remind me of Spider-Man's lips. Wait a second. And as he's walking off, he does his whole monologue. But I can't keep thinking... What she, does she think that he's probably an asexual dude, like, out of all the time they've done this and all the back and forth flirting and whatnot just to lead to this? I don't know. It, you know, it's it's tough to see what she's thinking because she is clearly thinking, like, is, is Peter Spider-Man? But if it were me, if I were MJ, if I was that sought after, I'd be like, I just dumped the richest man in New York City, Harry Osborn. <laughs> For this fucking nerd who has never said anything to me, growing up even next as I was door. getting beaten mercilessly by my father, he watched through his bedroom window, did nothing, and he just walked away from me. What a fucking piece of shit! <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, that's Spiderman, dude. That is 2002's Spiderman. What are your thoughts, Zach? My thoughts are pretty good, man. I, uh, you know, I didn't think that this was going to be a movie that I was going to dislike coming in and I was right. I mean, it is, you know, one of the things that we've talked about is just how oversaturated the superhero market is now. Like there's so many superhero movies or shows. There's just like, you can't look left or right without seeing one. Um, So it was kind of interesting to go back and see really where it kind of got kicked off and I I prefer this movie to a lot of the Marvel movies that are coming out. Not all of them. Some of them are very good. But there is just something very wholesome about this movie. Like we mentioned in the beginning, it knows when to be corny. It knows when to be serious. It's long, but it doesn't feel long. It just there is no wasted second in this movie. It's funny where it needs to be funny. Um, I wish the CGI held up a little better, but to... Sam Raimi's credit, he's an he's a magnificent director. He uses a lot of practical effects in this movie, so it doesn't feel bogged down by CGI. Um, I can't remember what this got on Rotten Tomatoes. Ninety percent, seven point three on IMDb. I mean, I yeah, I think I'm probably I would probably give it around there, maybe like in in eighty seven. Absolutely recommend for anybody who you want to introduce to spider-man like honestly what i would do is probably show them this spider-man first i wouldn't show them the tom holland movie like if if they've never seen spider-man this is a great introduction a fantastic origin story and it, it just it feels different than every other superhero movie that we've got right now and it's something that i really appreciate so definitely worth the nostalgia I pretty much agree with everything you say. I, I think that not only is this a great introduction to the character, but this may be the first movie I ever show, more, first superhero movie I ever show my kids someday. I think it's, it's such a great introduction to the superhero genre. It gives you everything you need to know about, you know, the, the basics of good versus evil and the put-upon hero. It's got everything while also remaining, as you said, very wholesome, very old-fashioned, very comic booky, and And that's what I think is kind of missing from a lot of the more mature storytelling of of these movies today. I think it's kind of sad that if this movie were made the exact same way, albeit with, you know, updated effects today, same exact script, I don't think it gets the respect 
it deserves because I think we've now seen it all played out now that this may seem less remarkable to some viewers. And so while I understand maybe people going back to this movie may not hold it in in as high regards as we do because I'm going to probably match it. I'll say it deserves about an 80, 85, somewhere in there. It's it's such a well-done origin story while encapsulating everything that is fun about a superhero movie. And I think Sam Raimi, you know, keeps the camera moving. His style definitely adds to this. And similar to Tim Burton's Batman, I think it's one of the defining movies of its genre of its decade. Like, I think if you go from Batman, this was probably the next most important important along with maybe X-Men of the 2000s and then you get into Dark Knight territory where it kind of shifts again towards more mature storytelling but I think this was kind of a marker and I do agree I think this may be yeah the first superhero movie I ever show my kids someday if I if I have them and they ever are interested in comic book movies I think this is maybe one of the the standards for for the genre. There have been better since and they're going to keep getting more intricate and detailed and and I like you know some of the darker iterations that we've had since this but i but i will agree i think this one is kind of the the gold standard for for superhero origin stories 100 percent. really quick before we get into uh our recommendations and a preview for next week we mentioned that we might rank our spider-mans do that really really quick mine would go spider-man into the spider-verse spider-man 2 spider-man Spider-Man Homecoming, Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man 3, Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, I would do that exactly the same way, except I think I would probably, towards the tail end, go Amazing Spider- or Spider-Man 3, Amazing Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 2. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I'm, I, don't th- I don't think the Amazing Spider- like, it, It's kind of like attack of the clones i'd rather just not think about it you know what i mean <laughs> like <laughs> yeah I, I think we can all agree that amazing spider-man 2 was probably the worst one of, the worst spider-man before we get into next week do you have anything dude that you'd like to recommend it's been a while since we've been over a month since we did an episode there which we apologize for guys but uh glad we could at least get back and on the air yeah, if you follow us on Facebook, uh, you'll have read that we're going through more life changes, uh, more probably soon to come, but we're going to try and get our episodes on more frequently and not go a month until <laughs> our next episode last time. Um, I haven't really had the chance to see any new movies. Um, what I will do is I'll give you another Netflix show recommendation. Uh, I Think You Should Leave by Tim Robinson. Is Dude, the, that is so the funny. <laughs> funniest show to come out on Netflix, put, put possibly ever. It is so funny. Tim Robinson is criminally underrated uh, SNL alumni. He most of these sketches are sh- sketches that he wrote for SNL that didn't air for pretty obvious reasons once you see them. Um, it is just a nice, quick six episodes, all of them only about 15 to 16 minutes long. It's so goddamn funny. Give it a watch. I think I'm on my third rewatch. <laughs> yeah, I've seen those multiple times. Some of those sketches are, yeah, all-timers. Like, holy shit, yeah, funny. It just amazing. Uh, I will just recommend, yeah, it's been like a good couple months, but I, I yeah, you know, just a few of my favorites that I saw in theaters recently were obviously Avengers Endgame was pretty sweet. Did you get around to seeing that yet, Zach? Still, uh, as of recording, still have not seen it. 
<laughs> nice, dude. Well, you're one of probably eight people because the movie made. I, I know <laughs> every I know. dollar imaginable. It's been a it's been a weird month for me, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you, bud. Well, that one I'll recommend. That I'll recommend uh, Seth Rogen's Charlie's Throne in the Long Shot. Pretty pretty entertaining uh, romantic comedy, dude. Yeah, not not many of those around, especially recently. But I, I did enjoy that one. I also liked uh, Dragged Across Concrete, which you got to check out. That's that new one from uh, Bone Tomahawk and Brawlin' Cell Block 99 director. Oh, I do so. love that guy. That All right, man. Great. Well, this is, uh, you can announce next week's movie from the year of 1992, I believe, because this is your pick. This is my pick, and Brandon and I were kind of having a discussion because this movie has two sequels to it. Um, it is a very beloved series. I was going to say let's do the sequel because I thought that the first one was critically beloved, and it turns out that it was critically panned when it came out uh 1992's the mighty ducks it's been a hot minute since we did a sports one huh yeah we haven't done i mean we kind of did what was the water boy if you want to count that as a sports movie but i do i do i don't um But um, I'm I'm excited. You've never seen the Mighty Ducks. I am a Mighty Doug virgin, my friend. All four are there? Three, four of them? How many are there? There's three of them. Uh, I'm. There might have been. I think there was a television show that came out. It was a cartoon that was about like crime solving, hockey playing, actual ducks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's crazy. Emilio Estevez. Uh, plays the main character so it, it you know I'm excited to watch it it is a movie that kind of defines a lot of hockey fans uh, childhood um, so it, it's going to be interesting they they made an NHL team based off of this movie so it's definitely worth the watch even if it's going to get panned and uh, there's a good chance I, I'm coming away from this one scarred <laughs> Well, I'm excited to see it because it's one of those movies I've heard countless things about, you know, saw the video cassette tape on the shelves of Blockbuster my whole childhood. So you might as well cross her off if I'm a true 90s fan. So, uh, you know, one I've been meaning to see for a while. Might as well watch it for the show. And then right afterwards, we'll watch Mighty Ducks 2. We'll do that episode. We won't do Mighty <laughs> no! Come on. Well, thank you, everyone, for uh, taking the time to listen. Uh, if you have not subscribed, please consider doing so. You can do that right on iTunes or uh, Podbean, which is our original hosted site. Yep, and uh, I found out recently, Brandon, you actually have to write a review for your rating to go through on iTunes. So if you could do that, that would be sweet. That would be very sweet. That's how a lot of people wind up checking out the show, just by looking up reviews. And if, you know, if we got bad reviews, they're less likely to click. But if anyone reviewed regardless, I think that just helps bump it up and and uh, would help us out a great deal. Yep. So like Brandon said, check us out on iTunes, podbean.com. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, shoot us an email there or a message. And like I said, the email is nostalgiabedamnedpod at gmail.com. Shoot us a request or anything you'd like to chat with us about. We're eager to hear from uh, listeners of the show so please continue to do so and above all else oh, please, please tell a friend it would, it would mean a lot to us we appreciate everybody sticking with us we know it's been a long while since our last episode but we're happy to be back thank you so fucking much dude and did you know that bone saw is ready bones <laughs> man when's the last movie you saw macho man randy savage by the way uh this one <laughs> have a good one 
that a hero can save us I'm not 